This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. We are going to go ahead and get started. We've been studying here together character development in the context of the Great Controversy, and we've been looking at the Great Controversy um, really through the course of Biblical Prophecy and History, so looking at the ways in which Satan used the kingdoms of the world, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, um, as well as ultimately the Antichrist in advancing his plan against God and against God's people. And we also looked very specifically at how God's people, the faithful over the years, have withstood the influence and have stood faithful for God, even under times of persecution and trial and very difficult times, and ultimately highlighting the fact that we need to develop characters that are faithful to God no matter where we find ourselves. In this final session, as we look at, this is really the combination of five, six sessions. So if you missed the previous ones, you'll find them all online on, on the GYC website after the conference. But this being the last session, the combination, we just want to look at the ultimate composite Christian, the ultimate example that we have in Jesus, and we'll spend a little bit of time just talking about what that means for us to look at Christ and develop characters patterned after um, the divine likeness. And some of you were asking some questions just during the course of the week since Wednesday about, well, I know that I need to develop this kind of character, but how do I do it practically? And the answer to that we'll talk a little bit about today as well. And some of you also asked, well, how do I study the Bible? Because if you want to develop this character, you have to be in the Word. Now, I'm a teacher, and I, if you ask me how to study the Bible, I could teach you for 10 hours about how to study the Bible because there's so much material. So I don't have the time to go over all of that with you today, but I will, through the course of this seminar, try to demonstrate as I teach how you can approach the Bible. Are you with me? So just follow what I do, because we're going to do a Bible study together. You're with me? And observe what I'm doing, and hopefully that will give you some tips you can use as you go back home. Can we do that? Let's pray and get started. Eternal Father in heaven, we are thankful for this time, and we pray that your spirit would be here to speak to our hearts, to encourage us, to teach us, and to show us how we may grow up in Christ and to reflect him and become like him. Send your spirit here, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're looking and talking about Jesus as our example, and it looks like my clicker is not working. Anyway, okay. Technology, right? Um, (laughs) Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. When you get there, please say amen. Are you there? Okay, there we go. I was wondering what was wrong with that. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 8. Um, going to have us read from verse 1 to 5. Actually, forget that slide. You guys are getting distracted. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. Are we there? 
the Bible says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now as a student of the Bible, and again, follow with me because I'm going to demonstrate some Bible study tools as we go through this study together. When you read the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying, what should you, what should you immediately ask? What question should you immediately ask? What have we been saying? Exactly. You know, so when you're approaching the Bible, read every word and read carefully. You know that Paul, the writer of Hebrews, uh, is, is saying here, this is the main point of the things we are saying. So that's telling you, in order to understand chapter 8, you have to go back to what? Chapter 7, chapter 6, and 5. Because Paul has been building a case. And chapter 8 is the culmination, the main point, the summation of what he's saying. Are you with me? Amen. Is that clear what I'm doing here? And then he says, we have such a high priest. Now when you read a phrase such as high priest in the Bible, in any, anything actually, what you should also do is, is remember and ask yourself, where else in the book of Hebrews does the phrase high priest occur? Can you all remember? Chapter 7, of course, any other chapters where it, where it occurs? chapter 2, chapter 4. And so you would go back throughout the book of Hebrews and look for how the term high priest is used and referenced and see how the book of Hebrews talks about this high priest. You're with me? And then what you would also do is you would step back from the book of Hebrews and look at the entire scripture. What does the entire scripture say about the high priest? So in the rest of scripture, what are the passages talk about the priest or the high priest? This is not a pop quiz. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you would go back to those other passages in the Bible, in the Pentateuch, and in other parts of Scripture that talk about the high priest, so you can see what the entire Scripture has to say about this particular topic. Are you with me, friends? And you doing that gives you a complete picture of the Bible's teaching about the priest. And in this case, the author of Hebrews writes about Christ as our high priest. But before we understand that, we have to go back and see what he's referencing in earlier terms. If you've got me so far, please say amen. Is what I'm doing helpful to you? Let's keep on reading. I, I can't go through all the text because of time, but I'm just showing you what you can do when you're studying. So we're reading, and he says in verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary. Okay, now as good Bible students, sanctuary, where do you go? Or what do you think of? What do you remember? Exactly, the sanctuary in the Old Testament system. And so he's referencing the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, but in, 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 and he says, talking about Jesus, that he's a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest, in verse 3, is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. 
it's unfortunate I don't have time to go through all of this because these five verses are so rich, right? Um, but let's just take verse five because that's what we want to that's what we want to use as the launching pad of our study today. The Bible says at the end of verse five, as Moses was instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, that he was to make all things according to what the pattern that was shown to him in the mount. Now as a good student of the word, if you were studying this chapter, you would want to know where is the author of Hebrews coding from. Because when he says Moses was told to make all things according to the pattern, he is coding the Old Testament. And it would be good for you if you were studying this to go back to the Old Testament in Exodus 25 and see the original instruction that God gave Moses. You're with me? And the verse is Exodus 25 and verse 40. For those of you who are taking notes. Um, and so Moses is told, make all things according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. Now, when you think about Moses and his experience, where did Moses spend the earlier part of his life? In Egypt, right? He was educated at the University of Egypt, <laughs> whatever it was called. And Moses was gifted and if he was to make or build a, a tabernacle or some kind of structure of worship he could have relied upon his own architectural skill and knowledge yes he could have come up with something designed something on his own volition but God gave him a very specific instruction make all things according to what to the pattern that was shown to you where in the mountain so that means that Moses in order to see the pattern had to go where the mountain and when he was on the mountain what was he doing just sitting there like a zombie what communing with God how do you know from the text that he was communing with God he was shown something you're with me are you following me, friends? If you're following me, please say amen. I hope this is being useful to you. So Moses was communing with God in the mountain, and God shows him a pattern. And God says, Moses, I want you to make all things according to the pattern that I'm showing you. And so in building the sanctuary, God gave Moses specific instructions about its length, yes or no? Its width, yes or no? the colors to be used, every single aspect of the sanctuary had a pattern. Is that right? So God was very specific and Moses had to make sure that he built all things according to that pattern. In other words, in addition to spending time in the mountain studying the pattern, Moses had to build after the pattern. Now why is this relevant for character development is because of this. In heavenly places, page 54, not 57, as it says here, the pen of inspiration says Jesus was a perfect pattern of what we should be. I actually want you, I want to read for you the entire quotation because it's really, really profound. I love it. She says here, just hold on for me to pull it up here. She says Jesus was a perfect pattern of what we should be. He was, and, and just listen to the the character of Christ being described by the inspired pen here. He was the strictest observer of his father's law, yet he moved in perfect freedom. He had all the fervor of the enthusiast, yet he was calm, sober, and self-possessed. 
He was elevated above the common affairs of the world, yet he did not exclude himself from society. She says his zeal never degenerated into passion, nor his consistency into selfish obstinacy. She says his benevolence never savored of weakness, nor his sympathy of sentimentalism. He combined, listen to, listen to just this, this contrast of, of his character. He combined commanding dignity with the innocence and simplicity of the child. Manly strength and all-absorbing devotion to God with tender love for men. He manifested unyielding firmness with gentleness. Dignity combined with the winning grace of humility. May we live in close connection with this perfect, faultless character. When you think about what it means that Jesus combined the innocence and simplicity of a child with manly strength, that he had commanding dignity combined with the winning grace of humility, and, and just this, this, this perfection of who and what he was, that that is what we are called to, and that is the perfect pattern that we are to follow. Now, now here's the point, and, and this again is what you would want to do in your Bible study. As you're looking at how Moses is building the sanctuary after the pattern shown him in the mount, here's the application. Moses had to go to the mountain to commune with God and to study the pattern of the sanctuary, which, by the way, is, is profoundly significant because who does the sanctuary speak of? How do you make that connection biblically? Because we are teaching you how to study the Bible here as well. There's a verse in Scripture, there are verses in Scripture that, 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 that show that. This is not a pop quiz. <laughs> what was, when, when, the, when the Bible says in Exodus 25 verse 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may do what? Dwell among them. So the purpose of the sanctuary was God to dwell with his people, yes? And then we are told in John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So God dwelt with humanity, and Jesus was God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. You're following? And so the connection between Christ and the sanctuary is profound in Scripture, but you're seeing it as, as Moses is, and I mean, of course, every part of the sanctuary testifies of Christ. The altar of burnt offering, the altar of incense, everything speaks of Christ. But as Moses went into the mountain and communed with God and received the pattern of the sanctuary and built after the pattern, the application is you and I find in Jesus our perfect pattern, yes? And that just like Moses, we are to go into the mountain in quotation marks. <laughs> Don't go looking for a literal mountain. But that we are to go to the mount and commune with God. You're following me? And study the pattern, who is Christ, and build characters after the pattern. If that's clear, please say amen. You, don't, you can't build after a pattern that you haven't seen. Yes or no? 
You have to study the pattern, commune with God, observe, see, study, and build after the pattern. If that's clear, please say amen. Now, and these are just some statements to that effect. I just want to read the first one. That God expects us to build characters in accordance to the pattern set before us. To lay brick by brick, adding grace by grace. And it is reiterating the point that we are to build on the pattern. Look at the last quotation. This is from Conflict and yes, Child Guidance, page 166. She says, in our character building, we must build on what? We must build on what? Build on Christ. He is the sure foundation, a foundation which can never be moved. The tempest of temptation, wait, I'm sorry. A foundation which can never be moved. The tempest of temptation and trial cannot move the building which is riveted to the eternal rock. So we're to build on Christ, right? And we're to build after the pattern shown in the mount. So what this means practically is that your mountain would be not your, your bedroom, but hopefully not your bed. Because if you try to study your, in, your Bible in your bed, you will fall asleep. I've done that 10,000 times. But you find, forgive me, <laughs> but you find your mountain in your room, your closet, that quiet space where it's just you and God. And you have to day by day, and somebody asked the question the other day is, yes, I know Christ is my, my pattern, but how do I do that practically? And the answer is you just have to keep beholding him. There's no other answer. You have to take time to find that mountain, that quiet space, and study the pattern. Because the more you study it, the more like him you become. The more you behold him. You know, if you look at this light bulb right up there, if I stare at it for about, you know, three, four minutes, and then I close my eyes, what will I see when I close my eyes? I'll see the light bulb. Do you follow me? If I just stare at that light bulb for some five minutes, when I close my eyes, that's what I will see. That's what you want to do with Jesus. You want to look at him so closely, so hard, that whenever you look away, all you are seeing is Christ. And communing with him in that way, you become like him, really. And that's the only way to grow in grace. Here's the... The next Bible study lesson. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. As we continue looking, talking about our, our, our pattern and, and Jesus being the one after whom we are to build. Yeah. The Bible says, are you, are you there? In verse 1. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Pause. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. If, and we are studying this together as we're continuing looking at Christ as our pattern here, the Bible begins in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1 by saying that God 
at Sandra Thompson and Davis Mena spoke in time past, and now he speaks to us by his son. Now God the Son, as described in chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 2, what, what, what aspect of Christ's work is referenced in verse 2? The creation of the universe. It's speaking very specifically about Christ and his action in creating the universe. Now as a student of scripture, if you are studying this as we're doing, you would want to, 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 to ask yourself, where else in scripture does the Bible speak about Christ as creator? Colossians, what chapter? Chapter 1, what verses? Can you read them for us, Leticia? Colossians 1, 16 and 17. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, you also find it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John goes on to say that it is through this Word that all things were made. And so as you, as you are studying the Scripture, you want to see what the whole Scripture has to say about Christ as Creator. Now this is the thing, Hebrews chapter 1, and this is the point we're getting to, is that Hebrews chapter 1 upholds and speaks about the divinity of Jesus. Are you following me? It describes him in verse 2 as the creator. It, is, it describes him in verse 3 as the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person. And listen to this, very profound. In chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 8. Actually, let's begin reading from verse 5. Can I have somebody read Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 5 to verse 8? So the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Who is speaking in chapter 1 verse 8 of Hebrews? God the Father. How do we know that it's God the Father? Because building from verse 1, the author is saying God, who had sundry times and in diverse manners. And see, he's speaking about God the Father, and then referencing his relationship to God the Son. And God the Father speaks from verse 5 down to verse 8. And, and so listen to the profundity of this, because God the Father speaking to the Son, how does he address the Son in verse 8? Thy throne, O, o God. Do you see the profound point there? That God the Father speaks to the Son and addresses him as God. 
and, and so in the divinity of Christ is plain throughout our scripture, but it's just so profound that even God the Father calls the Son God because he is God. And so Hebrews chapter 1 speaks about Jesus as divine, as God. You are with me? And then chapter 2 emphasizes the other aspect of Christ as, as human. Look at this. Look at how chapter 2 of Hebrews. Let's begin in verse 6. Just follow along with me as we're making this, this point about Christ as our pattern. The Bible says, chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 5, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. So man has been made what? A little lower than the what? The angels. Now look at chapter 2, verse 9 in your Bibles. It says, But we see Jesus, who was made what? A little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with what glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man so when the Bible says that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels as a Bible student please make the connection between that and what we just read previously he's made man are you following please have I lost anyone so I'm, I'm just I'm teaching this seminar, but I'm also hoping that I'm demonstrating with you how you can approach your Bible study. Is it helping? So it's just be on the lookout for those connections as you're reading the context of the whole chapter. So when it says he's made lower than the angels, he's made man for the suffering of death. And Hebrews chapter 2 emphasizes the whole humanity of Christ. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, Inasmuch then as the children are what? Partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death. So just as we are flesh and blood, Christ took part in what? Flesh and blood. So Hebrews chapter 1, Christ is God. Hebrews chapter 2, Christ is man. He's both. Amen? And so the, the, the reason this, this is powerful for our character development is this very, very profound statement. I want to give you a minute to read it to yourself, and then I'll read it out loud. Just, just take a look at that statement in the context of what we just read in Hebrews 1 and 2. So the pen of inspiration says, by his humanity, Christ what? Touched humanity. By his divinity, he lays hold upon the power of God. As the son of man, he gave us an example of obedience. As the son of God, he gives us what? Power to obey. So there is our hope in character development, friends, that because Jesus is both God and man, we cannot fail. 
because as God the Son, He gives us what? The power to obey. And as man, He gave us the perfect example. And so we have both a pattern and we have the power to follow the pattern. Is that clear, friends? And that is the, the beauty of who Jesus is. That by being both God and both fully man and fully God, he gives us both the example, and when we look at the example, we can feel, I don't know about you, when I, when I look at Jesus and I think about his humility, his patience with Peter, and you know, if Peter was my friend, <laughs> loud mouth, quick to speak person, I wouldn't have been what Jesus was with him. So when I look at Jesus' patience and humility and, and, and forbearance and everything, I look at myself and I feel, I'm never going to get there. You know, because somebody steps on my toe and I'm just ready to blow up. Because that was how human we are. But the thing is, looking at the example will make you feel as though you're so far from getting there. And the truth is, you are. But remember, it's not just the example that he gives. It's also the power to follow the example. And that's why we need to grow in grace. And we can grow in grace because the power is available in Christ. If that's clear, please say amen. It is. It is. Amen. I'm sorry, your hand was up and I, I meant to... I am so sorry about that. Please raise it higher next time. And so we have both the example of obedience and the power to obey. How we actually apply this power in our lives, such transformation of character is ever the result of communion with Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is a verse that I've sense most of you know. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. What does the Bible say? But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the what? The glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image from what? from glory to glory. Now, when the Bible says from glory to glory, what is that telling you about the process of sanctification? Does it happen in a day, in an instant? It's a process of a lifetime. And we need to remember that we are to grow from glory to glory to glory to glory. And, and that the victories that we are to gain, and it's, and it's you know, how we are to, to, to grow is, the Bible says, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we talked about earlier. And that just by looking and beholding, we actually grow into the same image. You've heard it said that, what does the world say? By beholding you become? It's, a, it, it's based on scripture. <laughs> And it's so true. And it makes sense why the devil tries so hard to fill our minds with everything that is not Christ. 
And so, and, and it, it, it's so easy for us to spend hours, you know, watching movies and, and reading exciting novels. But when we come to the Bible, we feel so, I just can't spend more than 10 minutes. Because the devil knows if we can behold other things, if we can keep beholding things that are not Christ, then he has us. You know, because we can't grow in grace, we can't grow up in Christ if we're not beholding him constantly. But here's the thing, is that in, in our character growth and development, the closer we come to Christ, the more that we will see how sinful we are. But even as he changes us, we have to remember that in growing from glory to glory, let's not get discouraged. You know, today it's this victory that has to be gained. Tomorrow it's the next one. Do you follow me, friends? You know, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, wow, it's really 10 years ago? I feel old. <laughs> 10 years ago, one of my personal struggles was reading romantic novels. I was addicted to just reading. I, I won't even describe for you what kind of material I was reading. And I remember just, it was such a struggle for me because I love to read. And, and what happened is, you know, I started reading very early on in, 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 in my life. And by the time I was in my mid-teens, I had read almost all my parents' Ellen White books and everything. So there was nothing left for me to read at home. So I began going to the public library and picking up books that were anything but spirit of prophecy. And that just became something I just couldn't put down. And it came to a point where it was affecting my mind and my emotions so much that I was convicted I need to let this go. But I was like, Lord, I just don't know how to, I, I, I just, I don't know. You know, because you, you tell yourself, I'm not going to read another one of these books. Then you walk by it and you just have to pick it up. But you know what? I can tell you right now that I have no desire whatsoever for any of those books. Not because of anything in me, but just the grace of God changes you over time. Now that's one victory gained. And there's other things in me God is working on. Do you follow me, friends? But we go from glory to glory. And we need to be willing to grow. Because some of us make the excuse of, I've been battling this all my life. Maybe I just can't overcome it. Does that sound familiar? But some of us are like, I just, maybe it's just not worth trying. And so we, we harbor these, these darling sins, these little things that we're just like, maybe God will just overlook this one. Because I mean, I've tried, Lord. I've tried to give up that whatever it is. But friends, remember we have both the example and the power to follow it. And we are to grow from glory to glory, from one victory to another to another. And we'll keep growing even through eternity because Christ and I mean, God is infinite, right? If that's clear, please say amen. And so beholding and communing with the pattern. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3. Please say amen when you get there. If you're not there, say have mercy. Are we there? The Bible says, this is the will of God. Even your what? Your sanctification. What is the will of God? Our sanctification. Do you see the text, friends? God wills for us 
to be sanctified through his grace. God wills for us to, to have characters patterned after Christ. Yes or no? Now, good Bible students that you are, tell me a verse in scripture that talks about praying according to God's will. Could you read it for us or say it for us? There are verses in scripture that talk about praying according to God's will. That if we ask, was that the verse you were talking about? Same thing, basically. Amen. Um, and so if we ask anything according to his will, we have the confidence that he what? He actually hears us. Do you see that, friends? And we're reading here that the will of God is our what? Our sanctification. So when we come to God and we're praying for victory over sin, we're praying for growth in grace, will God hear that prayer? You're not convincing me, but your response. Will God hear that prayer? Yes, it is His will. God wills to give us victory. God wills to give, God wills to have us develop characters after Christ. And so because it is his will, we should have the confidence that no matter how long I've been struggling with this, no matter how deep the struggle is, no matter how painful, no matter how whatever, it is God's will. And we should have the confidence to come to him and say, Father, you promised this is your will. And trust that God will do. Amen? And so again, we have no excuse, friends. No excuse. Is that clear so far? And I hope... I know that I'm, I can't give you a whole lesson, but I hope you are seeing some things that you can apply to your own personal Bible study at home. Yes? Not convinced <laughs> by your response. Yes. Definitely, cast not away your confidence. I want to, okay. Matthew 16, verse 24. Somebody who gets there, please read it first. Matthew 16, 24. It says here in Acts of the Apostles, page 560, that sanctification is the result of constantly dying to sin and constantly living for Christ. It is the result of lifelong obedience. And referencing Matthew 16, 24 to remind us that there is a dying to self and living to Christ and just willingness to say, yes, Lord, whatever his command is. It's as simple as just saying yes. That is sanctification. And here is the statement that when I first read it, I had to literally um, just go back and, 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 and read every word again and, and try and soak it in. It says, this is from Deserve Ages. Oh, I didn't put the, the page number for it. It's in the chapter, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. She says that all true obedience comes from the heart. 
It was hard work with Christ. And if we consent, if we do what? If we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out what? Our own impulses. Do you, do you get it, friends? What is an impulse? Something you do almost without thinking. And she's saying that Jesus wants to identify himself with our thoughts and aims, blend our hearts and minds to conformity to his will, so that obeying him becomes impulse. And what is our role? What do we have to do? We have to consent. Is that hard to do? You guys are not talking to me. <laughs> Am I scaring you? I'm just kidding. Is that hard to do to consent? It can be hard sometimes. Why? Because it's calling for surrender. And if Jesus says, I want those movies out of your life, and you're like, oh, Lord, really? <laughs> really? But if you just consent, that's what Christ will do. If Jesus says, I want that relationship out of your life because it's not helping you spiritually, and you sit there and agonize and say, God, but I really want it, you can either hold on to it or you can let it go and say, yes, Lord, and watch him work in your life. Are you with me, friends? God is, God is so good because even though he has all power, he doesn't want to force us. He literally says, give me permission. Just allow me to blend your heart, your mind into conformity to my will. But to allow me, you have to, you have to say yes in whatever I ask you. And it, it, it's, it's a hard thing to say yes, but friends, if you don't say yes, then what do you have? What, what else, what are the options? Where, where, where do we go? You know, to whom can we turn? When, when the, the, the disciples in, in John chapter 6, after Christ preaches that sermon about his, his body and his blood and he, and he being the bread of life, the Bible says that many of, the, many of his followers turned back. And then Christ looks at the disciples, the 12, and says, will you also go back? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know, really, where else can we go? And the beauty of what we can find in Christ is, cannot be compared to anything. So I encourage you, it will be hard to say yes. No denying it. Because we love our sins. We love and we cherish. Unfortunately, we are wired, we're bent towards sin. But His grace is more than sufficient. And if we're just willing to surrender, I mean, just think about what this means, friends that we can actually be like Christ. And that's what he wants if we consent and agree. And all of this happens as we behold and study the pattern. Now, three practical things, because at this point you might be thinking, okay, I get it, you know, I need to consent and surrender and say yes and behold him. Prayer, Bible study, and witnessing. Three very simple things on which you rest your Christian life. 
prayer and communing with God, opening your heart up to God, and allowing God to speak to you about those things in your life that need to go. Bible study, taking the time not to just open Psalm chapter 1 and read it for five minutes and close it. But when you're studying, some of you, who's a, who's a student here? Oh, wow, speaking to students. Are any of you at secular universities? Oh, kindred spirits. Um, I was, so you know how hard it is. When, you, when you're in school and, and say you're studying organic chemistry, one of my favorite subjects ever, and, and no, I love organic chemistry, no, I'm crazy, but when you're sitting there studying it, you don't just open your textbook and stare at the organic molecules, do you? No, is that, I hope that's not what you do, right? Because that exam is gonna be a C. But <laughs> you, you take your textbook and you have a notepad, yes or no? You're taking notes, you're drawing structures, you're highlighting, underlining as you study. Is that accurate? So when you approach the Bible, which by the way, just as an aside, is the mind of God. Is there anyone wiser than God? So when you approach the Bible, you are approaching and, and you're communing with the greatest mind there is. You're literally reading the thoughts of God. So when you approach this, may I encourage you to study it harder than your organic chemistry, because it is harder. I'm not, it's harder. So when you come to Bible study, come with a notebook, pen, paper, a concordance, a lexicon, actually study in quiet time. And as you study his word, you're beholding him. And as you behold him, that's what happens. He speaks and he begins to change your heart and life. Is that, are you with me, friends? Prayer, Bible study. The third thing is witnessing. What witnessing does for you is that it, it allows you to see God working in other people's lives. And it keeps you on your toes, quite honestly. And when you see the gospel transform another person's life, you're encouraged to remember that God is transforming your own life also. I can tell you that the happiest days of my life are when I'm on mission. If I could be on mission forever, I would be. <laughs> but then you're always on mission, aren't you? Because whether you are in a foreign land or you're in your classroom, you can be a missionary. You don't have to go across the sea in your classroom, in your office, there's somebody who needs to hear the gospel. And witnessing, you know, honestly, friends, if you want to study your Bible, start witnessing. Because now what will happen is somebody will ask you a question and you'll be like, I, I really don't know. You'll be forced to study. And it feeds into, the more you witness, the more you pray. You ever gone canvassing? My first summer canvassing, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm a naturally shy person, believe it or not. And so you can imagine this shy, how old was I then? I think I was 24, 24, 23, going canvassing for a whole summer in Michigan. My first door, I knock on the door and, and, and this gentleman comes out and screams at me and says, you know, what are you doing on my door? Get off my porch and says other words I can't repeat <laughs> in, at UIC. And I just stood there and I cried. I was like, Lord, I can't do this. <laughs> I quit. But God is like, keep going. And I've never prayed so much as I prayed that summer. Because going to those doors, not knowing what you will meet, and literally praying 
between the doors and at every single door. And that prayer life, I can't tell you how much I grew because of that experience. So I really encourage you to witness. You want to grow in grace, do the work that Christ did. You want to become like him, share in his work. So prayer, Bible study, and what? Evangelism. That's the tripod of Christian character. And you have to be doing all three at the same time in order to grow in grace. If that's clear, please say amen. And, and may, may God help us to not just, not just, you know, even in our prayer life, not just to say, God, thank you for this and thank you for that, but to actually pray. When you read about men like Daniel and, and Elijah and how they prayed, that we would pray even as Jesus prayed. When you just look at, at, at the Gospels of Jesus as our pattern, that was his life. How often in the Gospels did Christ, did you find him in prayer? Very often. How, how much did Christ know his word? Very, very deeply. And what was his life mission? Imparting the grace of God. That is the pattern that we have. There's no other pattern for us to fall. And, and Jesus was immersed in prayer, in the word of God, and in, in service and, and ministry. And honestly, in, in, in doing what he did and in studying his life in those things is where our growth is going to come from. So how do I become like Jesus? Just behold him and do what he did. Prayer, Bible study, and witnessing. We're getting ready to wrap up here. Um, I just want to read this, this statement more than anything. Character does not come by chance. It is not determined by one outburst of temper, one step in the wrong direction. It is the repetition of the act that causes it to become habit and molds the character either for good or evil. Right characters can be formed only by persevering, untiring effort by improving every entrusted talent and capability to the glory of God. And so as, 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 as you leave this, this seminar and, and everything that you've heard here at GYC, may you remember that God is expecting something better of all of us. And what he's expecting is that life that Christ lived. And it's attainable because the grace of God is more than sufficient. And that we not take this lightly as just, you know, okay, dilly-dallying with temptation or excusing ourselves, thinking that, you know, maybe God means this for somebody else but not for me. But to know that it is the will of God for me, for you, for everyone in this room is our sanctification. And so remember, right, find your mountain Hopefully not, not a literal one, but find your mountain and, and commune and study the pattern and mold your life after it. I want to close um, by reading you something from Hebrews chapter 4. Now leave some time for some questions. <clears throat> the Bible says, are you there? Hebrews chapter 4. Are you there? The Bible says, Seeing then, from reading from verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4, 
And I'm getting confused because I'm reading from the New King James Version, but I have this chapter memorized in King James. So like, what am I reading? Um, the Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Verse 15, for we, do, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, as a student of the Bible, again, remember we, we spoke the other day about the love letter motif of if you're reading a love letter, you read every word several times over. Yes or no? Is that it? You don't receive love letters? Okay. Um, love emails, whatever you call them. But you read every word twice or thrice or whatever many times over. So in, the, in your Bible study, to read every single word several times over. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore... Now, when you read a word like therefore, what is that telling you? Right, therefore is a conclusion statement based on what's been said previously. Are you following me, friends? So verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4 is a summation of what's gone before in Hebrews chapter 4. So verse 15 says, For we have a high priest which is touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he was in all points tempted like as we are. Therefore, because we have such a high priest, you understand, friends, because we have such a high priest who is touched, who knows what it is to be tempted, but he sinned not, because we have this high priest, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, verse 16 says. So we have the boldness, the confidence that because of who Jesus is and because of what he does on our behalf, because of his example and the power he gives and because he stands in God's presence for us, that just as he overcame, we can what? Overcome. So I really encourage you, friends, up your prayer life, up your devotion time. There will be mornings when you get up and it's just like, ah, oh, the bed is just so warm. I can't leave my blankets to go and study, but get up and pray for strength to get up. Increase your devotion time. And then go out and share something with someone. And if there is no one, I'm sure there's someone because you have a neighbor. You have somebody sitting next to you in class. Pray for someone to share with. And really, really pray that in all of that, God will reveal Christ to you and make you more like Christ. And he will. And have the confidence to trust that because you have such a high priest, you will find mercy and you will obtain grace to help in your time of need. When that temptation seems so strong that you're just like, oh... I'm just tempted to give it. In that time of need, there is grace to help. Remember that. What the world needs is not more plastic Christians who carry their Bibles and come to church and pretend everything is okay. But back home, there's a skeleton full, closet full of skeletons. It's easy to fool each other, yes or no? 
we can dress up, look nice as you all look beautiful today on Sabbath, and we can smile and say happy Sabbath. But inside, there's a war raging. Like the world doesn't need more plastic Christians, friends. What we need is converted Christians. People who are literally seeking day by day to become more like Jesus. Because those are the people who can impact the world. Those are the people God wants to use and God can use. And those are the people that God is coming back for. Because God is coming back for a church that looks like him. For a church that represents the character of Christ. And so I really, really pray that as I go back home, God may give you the grace. And the grace is there. Just accept it. Um, that you may grow and from glory to glory according to the pattern that is set before you. Amen. And, 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 and let our church and our communities and our schools and our businesses or wherever we are, let them see the power of a converted life. Let them see the reality of the gospel. It's not just a fable or a fairy tale, but it changes hearts. Let them see that. Amen. Let's pray. Um, oh, Father, we thank you. That you. You've set such a high ideal for us and Jesus, who is our perfect pattern. But Father, we know that he's not just our example, he is the source of our power to obey. Father, we pray that you would make this power real in our lives. That we would find in Jesus the strength, the courage, the faith, the encouragement we need to grow in grace and to grow from glory to glory. We pray this and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.